Hello and welcome to episode 27 of North Point Plus. Nice. Mark, is there anything special about uh, 27? There is. 27 is my favorite number because it's the first composite number not divisible by any of its digits. Nice. There's a math teacher out there who's really impressed. They're psyched. <laughs> so excited. They're psyched right now. For the rest of us, he Googled that before we started. We literally yeah. had the conversation of what's cool about number 27. <laughs> we had a pre-podcast conversation. Uh, that included the number 27 as well as the British monarchy um, <laughs> with the hopes that one day we'll have a King Bill. Yes. Yeah, Prince William to be days. King Bill. That's the goal, days. right? That's what you, you complained about our banter, and so we took most <laughs> of our banter outside of the realm of the podcast. <laughs> uh, we still come in with a banter attitude, though. That's the best part. We talk about the banter, which yeah. is better than the original banter. Yeah. So if anybody wants to meet with us and discuss British monarchy currently, we're apparently like really into that. We're oddly knowledgeable on it. <laughs> And I don't like it because I can't stand the British monarchy and oh. the concept of it. So we got to the British, and you guys missed that whole conversation. But here's how we got to the British. And this is this is how we want to start off, Mark. Hey, by the way, I get to interview you Which because you spoke Sunday. Yeah, that's fun. So, oh, you know what? Let's just, let's see. See, I'm bad at this. You're so good at this. I'm already like, <laughs> like just derailing us here. It's your first time. We will get back to the British here in a second. Yes. But you spoke Sunday. I did. New, in our new series this week, two of the series, yep. and our Jesus is series, right? Yep. What did you talk about? Yeah, we talked about this concept of Jesus being worthy. So basically, to, to kind of sum up the series that we're in, we're going through week by week. Okay, I'm, I'm making sure the camera's on me. Yeah. You looked over here, and I thought the <laughs> camera was on you while I'm talking. Doing <laughs> them a complex. It's different for both of us, because you're interviewing, and I'm talking yeah. more. So it's just throwing us off. This is so. going to be a great podcast. I'm so excited. We're starting strong. Our highest rated podcast. Jesus is worthy. <laughs> Jesus is worthy. Focus. So basically, uh, what we had talked about as a teaching team is looking through this week-ish leading up to Easter and how Jesus uses each of these events to highlight who he is. So the, the resurrection of Lazarus is a little bit of an outlier because it's long before mm-hmm. the uh Holy Week leading up to Easter, um, but Jesus uses that to display his power over death even before his own resurrection. And then with this um, event with Mary anointing Jesus, Jesus uses this event to highlight the worthiness of Jesus and yeah. um, uses Mary to to utilize that. And then we have the triumphal entry, which Jesus uses to highlight something. We have the Last Supper, we have the garden, we have the trial, we have the crucifixion itself. We have all these events where Jesus uses this event to highlight this truth about himself. Mm-hmm. And then the cool thing is, at Easter, you kind of see the culmination of all of those things combined. So, yeah, we talked about uh, this concept of Jesus being worthy and how Mary, in response to who Jesus is, in response to what Lazarus, what happened with Lazarus, Mary just has this outpouring of love and affection for Jesus because he's clearly the only one who has power over death, the only one worthy of such a gift that she would give. Yeah. So we just kind of unpacked that, which was really fun. Yeah, yeah. And we've got some great questions about that gift itself today, yes. too. I'm excited. I love this series. Just want to say uh, I'm super pumped. And we're doing um, a Good Friday service this year. Yeah, which I'm, gosh, I'm so excited. Oh, it's going to be so good. And we're going to try and figure out some fun ways to do things a little different than a Sunday morning. So, you know, I would highly encourage come mm. check it out. Uh, yep. Timbertown, so there is kids stuff mm. uh, for uh, all the way yeah. up for like toddler age, Timbertown town age so if your kids are a part of north point they know what Town mm-hmm. is um so that should be really fun so hopefully put that on your calendar seven o'clock on good friday right yep good now i know what time to be there <laughs> i wasn't 100 percent sure when i asked the question but i knew you would know so but we can segue with time yeah and we can go back to the british yes so the time and british yes yeah, so we had this huge uh discussion on daylight savings time and i asked mark this simple question hey do you love the time change on daylight savings time 
Or are you wrong? And your answer is? I hate daylight savings time. Yes, and why? Why the concept would you hate of it? it? Because we don't need it. <laughs> why not? But I get more sunshine, Mark, and that's but, what matters. So I'm, not, I'm fine with more sunshine. Why do you hate it's the sun? It's the back and forth that I don't okay. think we need. Absolutely. So I, would I think wholeheartedly agree. there we can find agreement on. We can cross the aisle yes. <laughs> and shake hands. Yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to have this conversation because there's all these myths floating around. Everyone's sharing stuff on Facebook about right. daylight savings time. We hate the farmers. It's not the farmers' it's fault. Farmers. You got to lay off. the farmers. We love farmers. You got to lay off the farmers. Yeah. So we looked it up because this is what led us to King Bill. <laughs> yeah, King Bill. <laughs> the We're getting of, there. The potential of a King Bill is how did daylight savings time originate? Mm-hmm. And everyone blames the farmers on social media. It's not the farmers. Actually, the farmers lobbied against daylight nice. savings time. They hated it. Yeah. They did not want it. So I looked it up. So daylight savings time comes from the British. In 1907, it was first proposed by William Willett, which... <laughs> Bill Billet. Come on, parents. Bill Billet. <laughs> Don't name your kid William Willie. <laughs> Gosh, I hope his, William, his middle name is Willie. Oh, man. Uh, and supposedly it kept being reintroduced because of energy crises during the wars and things like that, everything in the 1900s. Okay. So it was needed back then because sure. every time you turn on your lights, you basically had to cut down a forest <laughs> to power yeah. all of your electricity. Yeah. Whereas now... Energy is a little different. The, the concept of energy is very different from 1907. So get rid of it. So as time changes, policy should change. That You know, we're not getting political. We're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> we're not going to get into that. That's why we directed it towards King Bill. King Bill. <laughs> <laughs> when Prince William takes the throne, we're petitioning King Bill. So here's my thing on Daylight Savings Time. I love sunshine. And so the fact that we get more sunshine, I am more than willing to give up one hour um, and all the fussiness that comes with my kids <laughs> based off of that one sacred hour just to have more sunshine. Yeah. I don't want to go back. Like, we don't need to fall back. And here's the ridiculous thing to me mm. we spend eight months out of the year in daylight savings time and we act like it's the anomaly. <laughs> this is normal. This is how we live our lives. And then when December comes, or not December, but when it's actually November 6th, I looked it up, <laughs> uh, we fall back then for like four months and then get right back into this. Let's just never go back. Yeah, it's unnecessary. Yeah. I'm, I'm over it. Let's take a stand, people. Let's never go it. back. <laughs> never change your clocks again, no matter what they say. It might affect your jobs. It's worth the sacrifice, in my opinion. That's what I think about your jobs. So there you go. There you go. So let's get into actual questions of what we're here for. All right? We need to. Enough King Bill. We had some questions submitted. Thank you, as always, for submitting the questions. Yeah. We love it. We love it. We love it. We couldn't do this without you guys. So you have great questions all of the time. Yeah. Let's do this. Uh, we got a question by Donna. Thank you, Donna. You're the best. Uh, it says, can you address why Jesus says to leave Mary alone so she can keep it for my burial, meaning like the the, the fragrance right. that she poured out, right. if she dumped the whole thing out. Right. Like, could Jesus have given Mary a little bit more of a heads up to save some of that if it was for her burial? <laughs> Instead, she just dumps the whole thing. Maybe, like, what is going maybe on? Maybe he was saying it as she was pouring the last drop, and she was like, oh, crap. <laughs> Like I was scooping it off. Of I the, knew I was supposed yeah. to save this for something. Oh, oh man! Yeah. What is up with that? This is a great question because this is where this is where Bible translations get a little finicky. And when you have a Bible translation that, uh, so I was reading from the ESV English Standard Version, which tries to be word for word as possible. Yeah, and that's great. That's why I like to use it is because I like to. That's how I like to study God's word is 
let it be word for word, and then I'll take in commentaries and, and all that and, and, and do the interpretation from there. Uh, but if you look at other translations for this specific passage, so this is when Jesus is defending Mary. Judas has just criticized her. Jesus says, leave her alone. She intended to keep this for the day of my burial. Um, another translation, hmm. or uh, yeah, <laughs> the alternate translation is that Mary intended to keep this for the day of my burial. So why would Jesus say that she kept it for the day of my burial? Yeah. She intended to keep it for the day of my burial. The translations here are a little weird. Um, and so basically what Jesus is saying is acknowledging that, and this is again, we talked about this in the message where Caiaphas unknowingly prophesies not only the death of Jesus, but the purpose of the death of Jesus. Right. So Caiaphas wants to murder Jesus, not an honorable <laughs> action, not a good action. Um, so Caiaphas, in his pursuit of sin, steps into God's plan and perfectly follows along with God's plan for redemption, which is crazy. And Mary, in her pursuit to love Jesus, does the exact same thing. Where Mary doesn't, it, we don't see from the text that Mary has an understanding that Jesus is about to go and die. So Mary isn't doing this because she thinks Jesus is going to die and that she's anointing him for the burial. But she ends up doing that anyway. So because she wow. loves Jesus, she ends up working in God's plan for redemption, where Jesus, because of the timeline of events, doesn't get a proper burial. He doesn't get an anointing like you would for the typical ritual of Jewish burials. So Mary ends up being that proper anointing wow. unknowingly to her, Yeah, which is just crazy. So that's, that's kind of that weird, tr wonky translation there where some translations lean one way or the other, where basically what Jesus is acknowledging is that this is a great thing for Mary to do, not only because it's loving to Jesus, but because it actually works perfectly in line with God's plan for the crucifixion and redemption and resurrection. Man, that is so beautiful. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is so stinky. I'm, I'm glad we do the podcast just to learn that, because yeah. I didn't know that. I actually did not know that. Yeah. Which is, uh, my, my, it might be surprising to you, Mark. I didn't know something, right? <laughs> right. But I didn't know that. I think that's incredible. So I'm yeah. learning today, too. That was good, man. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's really cool that that's wow. <laughs> in... It should just testify to us how great God's plan is. Right. On you have both ends of the spectrum that Caiaphas is a murderer mm -hmm. and is still in God's plan for redemption. God accounts for that. Mary is not a murderer. <laughs> She's yeah. a lover of Jesus and is still in God's plan for redemption, which is like oh. crazy. Everything that happens in the middle of that too still fits perfectly with God's plan. Yeah. Which it's like God's plan uh, can't be thwarted or something. It seems like that. Wow. <laughs> you yeah. would think you would think that's what that's we would believe. so good. Donna, thank you. I hope that answered. That was yeah, that was great. great. That great was really question. good. All right, we got another one here. Uh, John chapter twelve verse three, feet versus head issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. Can you talk a bit more about the difference in emphasis? Emphasis <laughs> is how it's written versus detractors using this to discredit the Bible. And we're not just going to let you off the hook there, Mark. No. But can you unpack the differences in Mark, Matthew, and John's versions of this story? <clears throat> yes. So this, uh, I talked about in the message where I didn't have time to unpack this. So I'm going to talk for a little bit here. Yeah, <laughs> Because there's, there's more differences here than I let on in the message. Sure. So I, I brought up that one of the main differences that people call out, that critics will call out for this passage, is that John says Mary anoints Jesus' feet. And Matthew and Mark say that this person, they don't say Mary, they just say a person anoints Jesus' head. And then in Luke, you actually have a what I think is a different anointing story that seems more like John's anointing story, where you have a woman who comes in, 
She anoints Jesus' feet. She wipes his feet with her hair. And so you have all of these similarities that seem like, hmm, if, you, if you're not really looking into it, it seems like a really easy way to discredit the Bible, that Luke says something that seems like John's story, and John says something that seems like Luke Mark's story, and Mark is a little different than Matthew, and so because they can't all agree on the timing or the name or whatever, that it must just be they all made the story up because they couldn't agree where it was, Yeah, which is not the case. <laughs> so basically, this is where I'm going to talk for a little bit. So the story in Luke is found very early in Luke's gospel. I think it's in Luke 7. So it's very early in Jesus' ministry that this woman comes in um, and it says that she's a sinner. So the, th- the general thought is that this is a prostitute of some sort. Um, comes in, anoints Jesus' feet, wipes his feet, uh, cries over his feet, wipes his feet with her hair. And then the difference is not only the timing of the event, the location of the event, but that the disciples don't have a negative reaction. So all the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, the disciples react negatively. Yeah. But here, it's not the disciples. It's the host, which is Simon, um, reacts negatively like, oh, get this woman out of here. She shouldn't be here. And Jesus corrects that. So the general thought is, or at least my, and all of this can be taken with a grain of salt. Yeah. Because yeah. None of this is spelled out clearly in scripture. So all Absolutely. of this is... This is what I think based on my study. Um, The thought is that this event happens in the Gospel of Luke early in Jesus' ministry, but it's such a notable event that all of the disciples remember it and all of the followers of Jesus remember it. So it's this thing where, hey, remember that time where this woman came in and she was crying and she wiped the feet of Jesus? Like, gosh, that was such a memorable moment. And so Mary, knowing about this story, thinks, okay, if I'm going to anoint Jesus... Here is this prominent story that we all know about where this woman anointed Jesus and Jesus affirmed that decision from her. So I'm going to try and do the same thing. So this is where the details get a little different from Luke. So um, John, Matthew, and Mark all place the event much later, closer to the crucifixion. Um, They all agree that the dinner is located at Bethany. The ointment and perfume is nard, which is still gross. Yeah. Name it a name it a better so name. Um, the disciples react negatively. John's the only one that says Judas is the one to call out and say like, "What are you doing? What what is such a waste?" Um, Matthew and Mark just say the disciples reacted negatively, which is probably true. Yeah, knowing the track record of the disciples, they probably all were like, uh, yeah. "What the heck?" Peter had to have said something. That you guy's know, always saying, "You know, he did." Yeah, he had yeah. to have. Uh, and then the other common commonality between Matthew, Mark, and John is that Jesus defends the person almost word for word, like the exact words are quoted. Um, I think Mark and John are almost the exact same words. Matthew is a little different. Uh, Basically, the difference in Matthew is that Matthew uh, is the gospel that says this person will be remembered whenever the gospel is told. Like this is such a memorable event that this person will be remembered. so th- when you have these stories where each person is telling it a little differently, each person is emphasizing something. This is actually something we talked about in a longer podcast yeah. not too long ago. So if you guys want to check it out, we did a, like an hour and a half podcast yeah. on the Bible. And one of the things we talked about was um, criticisms that come against the Bible, specifically when stories don't seem to line up. Right. So when Mark tells this story and says one thing and John tells this story and says something kind of radically different, are they lying? Are they confused? And so that's a criticism against the Bible. Um, and basically what we see here is that each person in writing the Bible is able to put in their 
personal writing preference. Right. So their style, their flavor too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so the example that we used is um, like if you and I were to tell a story, the way I would say it is like one of the areas of interest that we differ completely is sports. Yeah. So like you are a sports fanatic. I am the complete opposite. Yep. Don't care about sports. I just like the colors. <laughs> so the way I would tell I cannot wait to see your March Madness bracket. <laughs> it's gonna be so good. <laughs> a lot of blue in there. Um so the way the way like the way I would share the story would be if if a, if the Michigan State basketball team came to visit North Point in the middle of the week, you and I would tell that story very differently. Mm-hmm. You would say, "Hey, I met this coach," and you would name the coach. And oh, I met this player that you know had these specific statistics last year and was able to shake hands. And we joked about this. And if I'm going to tell that story, I'd be like, "Oh, Michigan State was here, and I left early because <laughs> it was really packed, <laughs> and I don't care." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so we each have our preferences on sharing that story right. each emphasize what's important to us so in this process of god inspiring the disciples to write john takes a slightly different approach and this is why i love the book of john and i've talked about this i think on this podcast before that i love the gospel of john cuz john is so weird mm-hmm. and john is weird in his writing because matthew and mark and luke have already been written for years at this point right um so john is written much later and so john has the benefit of knowing hey the church already knows this part of the story i'm going to tell them something that they haven't heard yet that they haven't heard emphasized so they know that when mary did this with jesus that she anointed jesus head which emphasizes the kingliness of jesus like if you're anointing someone on the head that's what you would do to the king of israel yeah and John points out that not only did Mary anoint Jesus' head, she anoints basically his body down to his feet mm. and emphasizes that because she has a pound of this. Like if you have a pound of perfume yeah. and you're dumping it on someone's head, you're dumping it for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, enough, move on. <laughs> so Mary has plenty of perfume to not only anoint Jesus' head, but also anoint his feet. And so John emphasizes, hey, Matthew and Mark have already talked about the kingliness of Jesus. I'm going to emphasize Mary's heart here as a servant of Jesus, which highlights the worth of Jesus and Mary's position in relationship with Jesus as his servant, which is really cool. So I did a lot of talking there, trying to explain stuff. I don't know if that actually helps. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I thought that was that great. Explains anything for you? That was great. I think uh, you know you said you love the Book of John because it's weird. Uh, you should try Revelation sometime. <laughs> John has a knack for writing weird. <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that so that'll be another good one to dive into. It's got uh, seals and everything else, and, and like different kind, not like or art, like crack seals. Yeah. Uh, maybe there you we go. don't know. Maybe we don't know. Oh, it's weird. Seals in the shape of seals. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, we just lost somebody from watching us right there. Hundred percent. Oh, man. we lost them at King Bill. <laughs> King Bill. Yeah. Right. We're down two. Uh, here's our third question, uh, and this is a really really good one. How do we avoid a critical spirit toward one another, like mm-hmm. Judas? When it comes to worshiping Jesus in the church, it seems that all churches do today is tear down and critique one another. Yeah, this is a great This is something that I tried to emphasize in the message as much as possible, is that this critical spirit that seems to creep up in the church is not God's desire for the church, not obviously, because of how quickly Jesus addresses this, um, that Judas barely gets his words out in complaining and criticizing Mary. And Jesus immediately steps in. Leave her alone. Stop. Stop criticizing. She's doing the right thing. Yeah. Even if it's extravagant. Even if it's over the top. Even if it's different. I think that's the hard thing for us is this. we, We get it built up inside of us that 
I'm, I'm criticizing this person, this action, this whatever it is, because I love Jesus. That's what we tell ourselves. I'm being critical of this because I love Jesus. And to a certain extent, that's true, that there are things where we need to kind of, we've talked about, you know, you kind of need to protect the boundaries of Christianity. That if, if you start to get to something that's outside of accepted Christian orthodoxy, accepted Christian belief of, hey, Jesus isn't God. That's a boundary that we're going to protect. Yeah. The Bible's not authoritative. Uh, that's a boundary that we're going to protect. But then within that, there's free reign might be the wrong word, but there's flexibility mm-hmm. of, hey, Jake has this view on whatever it might be, the end times of how you interpret Revelation, because we just talked about Revelation. I would view that differently. Is that something where it takes you outside of that boundary of Christianity? If that is that, and the way, right. the way I categorize it is we have to determine if that thing that I'm criticizing keeps you from genuinely loving Jesus. Because a lot of times it doesn't. And I think we have to be honest about, th- about where we're at and just saying like, hey, I think that person is wrong. But that doesn't mean they're outside of Christianity. That doesn't mean they're... Uh, I had a pastor once that characterized it as, we have to determine that there's a difference between someone being wrong and someone being false. Right. Because that's what the Bible that's does, good. is that you you criticize or you highlight false teaching. So that's where you would say, hey, if someone says Jesus isn't God, we're going to highlight that and say, no, that's outside the boundary. If the Bible isn't authoritative, God isn't a trinity, something like that, uh, we're going to highlight that. But if it's a different view on eschatology, the end times, Revelation, mm-hmm. if it's a different view on, like, between Rick and I, between Calvinism and Arminianism, or yeah. whatever it might be, those are things that I think we often just take the Judas mindset of, I think I'm being honorable in what I'm doing, because right. I'm, I'm protecting Jesus, but really, I'm just seeking my own benefit of, I'd rather have everyone align with my viewpoint than what they think is genuinely loving Jesus, right. which is really frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we talk a lot at North Point, if you've been around for any period of time, you've probably heard us talk about unity of believers and how yeah. important that is for us, that we have people come from different backgrounds and and have yep. slightly different beliefs on some of the things in the Bible. Nothing false, yep. we would say, uh, but just different understandings at times in Scripture, but it's still rooted in Scripture because yep. we care so highly about that. And this is a safe place to do that. And yep. that's okay. We want that. That's on staff. That's in eldership. That's in the congregation. That's everywhere. Yep. And we love that. We think that's actually a really great thing. Yep. I like to tell the analogy, uh, and I tell it way too much probably, um, but it's like the playground, a fenced-in yep. playground, right? Yep. As long as you're within these fences, you can get on the monkey bars a bunch of different ways. Right. It might not be the way I would do it. Right. It might be what I would say is the wrong way, and you might wind up getting hurt, in my opinion, but right. you know, it is what it is. You right. can still climb the monkey bars if you want. Right. I'm going to do it the right way, obviously, because I climbed the monkey bars the right way, Mark. That's how yeah. it's done. Yeah, well, I think it's it's... We just lose sight of the truth that the church is a family. And Absolutely. that's that's the biggest thing when I, when I approach these conversations is, you know, when you, when you prepare to enter into a conversation where you want to criticize someone for the way that they worship Jesus, whether it be, I mean, any number of things could be the way they interpret scripture, the songs that they sing, the way that they approach life groups, mm-hmm. any number of things, how many times they do communion, all of this stuff. That's your brother. Yeah. That's your sister. And you talk to that person differently than an enemy of Christ because they're not. Right. Unless they're outside of that boundary. And even if they are outside of that boundary, you still would probably talk to them differently because Jesus talked to those people differently. Um, And so having that understanding of this is my brother in Christ, this is my sister in Christ, and 
I don't know. That's the that's the great thing about the. There's a passage in Ephesians that talks about how God has weaved together this complicated tapestry of the church. Um, and the example that Paul uses in Ephesians is that God has weaved together Greeks and Jews, Gentiles and Jews, people that don't belong together, people that hate one another, they've persecuted one another, they've taken advantage of one another, so they have all these things working against them, and God has found a way to intricately weave them together into one tapestry. And what Paul says, basically, is that by God weaving that together, he gets to brag to the devil to be yeah. like, hey, look what I brought together, these things that don't belong, like it's you know in your face yeah <laughs> basically that these things don't belong and we try to like pick that apart and say like well the colors don't match because we get focused in on this little square inch of the tapestry and god's like no like look at the whole picture of what i've brought together and yes there's things that are left out of the tapestry because they're not beautiful they're not part of my design but in our effort to criticize and to tear down yeah we just get so focused in on one stitch of the tapestry yeah that god's like no i i I purposely put that there because it looks like it shouldn't make sense, but I make it make sense yeah. because I brought the church together. Yeah. Which is just I love that blows image. My mind. I love that image of God holding up an afghi and going nanny nanny boo boo <laughs> to the devil. I love that. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Oh so yeah, I think it's in Ephesians three, if you guys yeah. want to look it up. It's it's really cool that yeah. um God in his majesty and power gets to show off to all of the principalities in the world and say like the devil is trying to make his own tapestry that will inevitably fail and i've already built my church and i'm adding into it everyone i need to yeah and i get to show off every step of the way and brag that i'm god and the devil's not which is so good so good yeah and and when it's done right it's so beautiful yeah i got to be a part of a conference this week down in florida um humble brag i was in florida (laughs) and um uh seven thousand church leaders wow in this building and yeah. from all different denominations all over the country. Mm-hmm. So we've got, we, we're, it, we are that tapestry, like it, as could be. And everybody I yeah. talked to, um, I actually, none of the conversations mm-hmm. I had was with anybody who was a church just like us. They were mm-hmm. all from different backgrounds of churches, mm-hmm. um, some in Michigan, some out in like Oklahoma and Missouri and Florida and like all over yeah. the place. And uh, what was incredible was our worship together because you had all these different backgrounds and there were times where it was like things you could tell we unified in a style of worship, like old school songs. And it was like, yeah. Oh man, like <laughs> put the mics down. We've got it now. But there was also times of like prayer yeah. and letting the spirit move that were so far outside my realm of comfort or what I've done before, yeah. but was so natural to other people around us yep. that by allowing myself to be stretched in that, yeah. man, God was worshiped. The yeah. spirit was felt. It was a beautiful, yeah. beautiful moment that was just so refreshing to me yeah. when I allowed that unity to just go yep. and to just be a part of something beautiful. Yeah, well, that's like, that's, I don't know, that's just the cool thing about being in a church in the body of Christ is that you are, I don't know, I think of my own family members and there's people where I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> I yeah. think you're wrong on that. Yeah. I just think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. But I love them yeah. completely. Yep. Um, and the conversations I would have about those wrong things, some of them don't even matter. It's like, whatever. I don't, you said that to your kid. I wouldn't say that to my kid. Who cares? Whatever. Right. <laughs> like, that's fine. Um, and there's things that are prioritized differently within that. But I, that's, that's what I think Judas misses completely. Obviously, yeah. because of who Judas is, is that he doesn't see Mary as his sister. He doesn't see the disciples as his brothers. He doesn't see Jesus as his savior, as his Lord, as his master, and that Judas is the servant of that. Judas is out for himself. And when we take on this critical 
analyzing and nitpicking every single thing. It's not to say that those conversations aren't important. I, that, that's one of the things that I love about North Point that you brought up is like, this is a place to have those conversations, yeah. to get into it and say like, hey, I think you're wrong. Still love you. Yeah, absolutely. Still love worshiping with you. Still love what I learn from you. Still benefit from that perspective that you bring because we're in the playground. And you're upside down on the monkey bars. And that's an interesting way to be on the monkey bars. I've always been right side up. Maybe yeah. I'll try it upside down once yeah. and try it with my legs and fall and break my neck. I'll try it. But being in that playground, like, I don't know, that's just, that's the perspective that we miss, that Judas clearly missed. And that was to his detriment. And that's why Jesus is so firm and quick to correct it, is that that is a dangerous mindset in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Man, I hope we keep that because I love being in those meetings and walking out and laughing at each other right. about our differences. Yeah, like I, I wish everybody could see behind the scenes of some of our stuff. You think we have tangents on the podcast? <laughs> you should be one of our meetings. They're, meetings they're are crazy. Ninety-eight percent tangent. Yes, and they're beautiful <laughs> and fun, and we disagree on so many things. And yeah. love, it's 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 gospel. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, 100%. I think our meetings are so much fun. Yeah, and some of you guys right now are watching this instead of paying attention to your Zoom meeting. <laughs> and I hope you get to experience a fun meeting yeah. like that someday. Well, that's, and this is just to highlight, again, what I think is so special at North Point. Um, I've, I've been at North Point for just over a year now. Uh, and in my process of meeting the staff, I had a very intentional conversation with Rick where I just told Rick, like, hey, I've always had this perspective that I'm theologically homeless because, like, I don't fit anywhere. Like, I fit somewhat with the Baptist. I fit somewhat with the Wesleyan, somewhat Reformed, somewhat Lutheran, all this stuff. Because I just I look at the Bible and I see what the Bible says and I think, I think that's what the Bible says. And sometimes that aligns with the denomination. Sometimes it doesn't. Oftentimes it doesn't. Um, and so I just had an upfront conversation of Rick of like, hey, this is all my theological baggage. This is all the stuff that I bring to the table. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that stuff? And he's like, I think that's great. And, th- th- and this has always stuck with me. This is what Rick said. If there's room for you at North Point, you have to make sure that there's elbow room for other people. That we're going to yeah. bump elbows a little bit. But we're all in that fenced-in playground where we bump around and sometimes we're playing tag and we bump into each other and that hurts. But we're going to get up and play tag again because bumping into each other is part of what it means to be the body of Christ. And that's that's the beautiful perspective that I think I, I just love at North Point is that there's room to bump around, there's room to bump elbows and joke around and say, like, oh, this is what Jake thinks about whatever, baptism or the end times or communion or whatever it might be. But it's not going to throw him outside of the playground. Right. Right. Yeah, I love it. Uh, we've said way too many nice things about Rick. We should probably move on. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, so we'll hear about that now when he watches this podcast. So there you go. Uh, question number four. Um, and this is good, too. What do we offer to Jesus mm. if we don't have expensive perfume or extravagant gifts? I mean, first of all, what, what perfume do you use again? Uh, Nard. I've switched Nard. to Nard. <laughs> Macy's does sell it. Nard. So. Found Nard. Yes. Do you own cologne? Do you use cologne? I just use deodorant. Just use deodorant. I have one thing of cologne. So I've had two different kinds of cologne my whole life. And I don't wear cologne like ever. Yeah. Uh, one was uh, I got because the name of the cologne was Jake. <laughs> And so somebody got me this. It was like from like American Eagle, like in high school or something like that. Uh, and I remember wearing it a couple of times. And then my wife got me at one point in time. We had a conversation. Uh, McGraw. So if I ever go somewhere nice, I go smelling like Tim McGraw. And, you know, I don't know if that makes me better or whatever. But yeah, we'll that I've owned better. like my whole life. Two things of cologne and I've yeah. never like I utilized half of them. My thing is like, I just I don't know how people figure it out. God bless you, because you figured it out. But like, I just feel like there's so many ways to have conflicting smells. Yeah, where it's like you have your deodorant, and then like you have product for 
your hair and that has a smell and then yeah. you have body wash and that has a smell you have soap and then you have cologne and perfume it's like I'm it's going to like assault my senses if I try to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a constant migraine all the <laughs> trying time to, trying to balance out my scent. Yeah. So, so what, do you, what do you do when you can't give your uh perfume that you don't own to Jesus? <laughs> yeah, Jesus, yeah, he doesn't want my perfume. That's no. why I have it. Yeah, this is this is another thing where man, if I had more time to unpack this in the message because uh, we got to it a little bit at the end, but that Jesus love for Mary didn't start at oh, she gave me this perfume. Now I love Mary. Mary gives this gift out of response to Jesus' love. So Jesus' love is always there. It's always the same. It doesn't increase or decrease based on Mary giving nard versus an ounce of nard versus 12 ounces of nard. Um, God, Jesus' love for Mary, God's love for Mary is consistent regardless yeah. of that, which is, we're very thankful for that. <laughs> because if it was contingent on us to give up a year's worth of our salary to Jesus, yeah. very few of us <laughs> would be in that category. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's the question to us is what is our equivalent of perfume or the expensive gift that we would give to Jesus? And I think when you look at Scripture, the answer that I – and I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are too. The answer that I see is worship. Yeah. That's what God asks of us is yeah. I, I desire that you are in relationship with me because the best thing for you is to worship me. And that's what we see with Mary is she gives this expensive gift. I think Jesus uses that to highlight the – um, importance of it, but the importance of it isn't really the gift. It's the fact that she's doing it. It's mm. the fact that she's offering this worshipful act to Jesus that that's really what makes the big difference. So, uh, y- I mean, you see the same thing with, um, shoot, what's the story of the woman that uh, gives the last of what she has? She basically gives oh, like, the yeah. equivalent of a penny. Yeah, like the tithe. I mean, she's <clears throat> giving, like offering and tithing. Yep. Yeah. Um, and she gives this very, very, very small financial amount. But Jesus says that that gift is better than those who are offering more because of how she offers it, that she willingly offers literally the last of what she has, everything she has. And her heart in that is an act of worship, not an act of the Judas mindset of, okay, I'm going to give this in hopes that I get 10 times more, or I'm going to give this hoping that I can just align my pockets with a little more. Um, so that's that's what I see is you know the expensive perfume that we have. And I mean, it's it's cool that throughout Scripture, our worship is talked about as a pleasant aroma oh, yeah. to God. And so uh, yeah. that to me is a clear connection of Jesus accepts this gift because it's a worshipful gift, not because, oh, whew, it's it's worth 300 denarii. Now I can accept it. If it was anything less, I wouldn't care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you hit it just right there on that. If it was an ounce or it wasn't nard, but it was... Right. Fard, I don't know, off-brand Nard. The Walmart brand. The Walmart brand of Nard. I don't know what that would be. It was McGraw. That's what it was. If you gave her McGraw out there, like Jesus is still going (laughs) to love it because it's her that's giving the gift. I think of the story uh, of the early church in the New Testament where everyone was selling and giving. um, And I cannot remember the names of the people, but uh, they like sold some land Mm. and like kept some of the prophets and then gave and said, oh, this is everything. Yep. And the apostles were like, are you sure? Yep. And they were like separate from one another, right? <laughs> and like, the, I think it was the husband went first. They're like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, this is everything. And he's like, well, I know you lied, and now God's going to strike you dead. And he died, yeah, right? And then the they like bury him. The wife shows up, and she's like, hey, we gave everything. And they're like, eh, are you sure? We know you didn't. We kind of know you didn't. She's like, no, we, we did, we did. And he's like, well, now you're you're dead too. Boom. And that's like happens, yeah. which is a crazy story. Right. Like, I'm they're so crazy I'm <laughs> hitting the microphone, right? That that happens. And there's a lot to unpack there and all that too. Yeah. But uh, but a part of that is this idea that they were worshiping themselves. 
It was yeah. really about their appearance. Yes. It wasn't about giving to God because if they had just probably come and said, no, we actually kept mm. half of it because we're building a, a new bathroom addition over here, but we wanted to give this half and we were sold to that. Like that's right. that's great. Right. But it was more about worshiping themselves than it was about worshiping God because right. that's what God asked for again and again and again right. is the worship. Yep. It's the worship that it, it's not about... I mean, how many times in the Old Testament did he say, like, I've rejected your sacrifices? Yeah. I've yep. rejected them. Not because they didn't do things right. The sacrifices were done correctly. Right. It was the heart of worship was not there behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's... Uh, gosh, you bring up a great point of that we consider ourselves more worthy of the gift than yeah. Jesus. I mean, that's yeah. what Judas is guilty of, is saying, you know, Mary comes in, she pours out this entire thing on Jesus, and Mary's or Judas's first thought is, I deserve some of that. Yeah. Which, like, we do that. All the time. We do that. Like, we're guilty of that. We have to acknowledge that. We have to repent of that and move away from that. But certainly that is our response when someone comes in, and that's, that's why we have that critical spirit. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it's because deep down in our heart we think, I know better, I deserve better, I've earned better. And so we try to shape the church into what we think it should look like. We try to shape events so that we benefit from it um, rather than thinking, you know, it's good that I suffer from this so that the kingdom can be bettered, which is why, like, it's so crazy to just hear continual stories of what's going on in Ukraine and the churches there yeah. and think of the things that I complain about on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. And that they continue to meet as a church. I think you shared on Sunday, they're meeting every single night for worship, which is like, Incredible. that's what the church is for. Yeah. Is that in the midst of all of this stuff going on, that rather than focusing on ourselves and trying to think through, okay, how can we benefit from this politically? How can we benefit from this in terms of our social status or whatever it might be? The church's focus is you just worship. That's what you're called to do. Um, I think I, I there was uh, I forget the pastor, um, but he basically said the the whole point of us sharing the gospel is to bring people into worship. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole we don't share the gospel so that we can make more money for the church. We don't share the gospel so that we can benefit and get more followers on social media. We share the gospel so that we can bring worshipers in. So good because that's the best thing for the worshipers, and that's God's command is yeah. that you will every knee will bow eventually mm-hmm. and you'll either bow because you're worshiping Jesus or because you're in judgment before Jesus right. and you want to be on the worshipful side. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the gift and that the, the cool thing. And again, it will we'll circle, we'll come full circle, full circle to how you can unknowingly step into something of God's plan. What's cool here is that Mary doesn't really have a full understanding of what God's doing, but God still uses that lack of understanding in her worship mm-hmm for the eventual good of both her and for his plan for redemption. That Mary is just faithful and steps in and says, hey, regardless of the criticism, regardless of what is going on, I have seen the power of Jesus. I've seen the love of Jesus. And my response is just to worship him. And God uses that small frame of understanding Mm. as this story that just furthers the kingdom, furthers the gospel. And that's what he does for us. And that's like, that's what we tell people. Like (laughs) you're not a Christian because you understand everything. Right. You're not you're not made into a Christian because you have this full understanding of theology. You've read your Bible thirty five times. You, you know you've 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 written books on it. You've written papers. You have theological degrees or whatever it might be, whatever you know, wh- whatever qualifications that we try to put up in front of it. That's not what makes you a Christian. That's not what makes you a Jesus follower. Mary is a Jesus follower because she loves Jesus. Right. That's that's it. Right. That's all there is. Right. I mean, Jesus is the apostles. We're not. Well educated, right. right? Like Acts tells us that seeing that they were uneducated men, <laughs> right. but that they had been with Jesus, right? Right. It wasn't that they had it together. It's just that they continued to follow, yeah. stumbling 
every possible chance that they had, it looks right. like. But they continue to follow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, and that's it, that's it. That's 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 what we're called to do is is to worship. And so the the more we can do that, the more we can step into that, the more we can step into that. Even acknowledging our brokenness in that. That hey, God, like I don't understand all of this. I don't understand what you're doing in all of this. You seem like you've got weird plans going on with Ukraine and Russia and stuff going on here politically and sociologically sociologically and in my family and in my work and all of these things that God somehow is operating in perfectly with his plan. And so our response is, I I don't know if I'll ever understand that perfectly in this life. I know I won't. I'm just going to worship you because that's what I'm called to do. I love it. So I love it, man. Uh, yeah. That's that's those are those are our questions today, man. Is there anything uh, you want to throw in? Anything to add? Uh, yeah, I would just say like I, I mean, we keep harping on this series. I'm I'm just so excited about it because yeah. like it just gets better. <clears throat> like it ramps up, the speed picks up, and everything that Jesus uses in this is just a continual highlight of the sovereignty of God in aligning all of these events and using it. Jesus power in all of that jesus patience and love and all of that to work with his disciples and bring them along um you just see week after week how amazing jesus really is so i hope people will join us for that if you're traveling for work or if you're sick or whatever join us online yeah every week has amazing things that we unpack with it just because it's god <laughs> I love and it. he's faithful to that so save the day for easter april 17 save the day for good friday it's the friday right before that we'd love to have you guys but yeah other than that i'm just excited for what comes next so good. yeah i'm excited yeah awesome. be a part of the guest we will uh, either see you in person or online this sunday so thanks for joining us